again, again in Hebrews, the second chapter. Hebrews chapter 2, I want you to become just super familiar with this verse, and then from there we'll go over into John 17. I, I'm, I'm almost uh, tempted tonight to just close my notes and just take, take the Bible in my hand and and uh, just, just it's, there's so much. It's, we, we were talking about this um, before uh, the event began this afternoon at the Foundry. And, and, you know, the more that we look in the scriptures, the more we're seeing um, what the word speaks in, in terms of oneness. And um, so anyway, praise God. But let's just, um, let's take a look at it afresh tonight. Amen. For it was fitting for him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he's not ashamed to call them brethren. Just for review, for those of you who were here, those of you who were not here this morning, Jesus didn't suffer to make himself perfect. He, he was already the perfect son of God. But he became a man and suffered as our substitute, suffered as our representative so that he could become the leader, the captain of our salvation and lead us not just to salvation, not just to the forgiveness of sins, not just to heaven one day when we die, but to lead us to glory. And so because of this, both he who sanctifies, that's speaking of, of God, and those who are being sanctified, that's speaking of you and me, are all of one, for which reason he's not ashamed to call you his brother. And another new thing we pointed out this morning is that when it says they're all of one, you say, well, does the Bible really mean that? Um, no, it actually means more than that. It, it means one and the same, if you look the original word up um, in, its, uh, in a Greek dictionary. Now, let's go to John <clears throat> chapter 17. And um, again, just planting and watering. Verse 20, John 17 and 20. Jesus praying to his father, he said, I do not pray for these alone. Now, the these alone that he's talking about here are the original disciples. But after Jesus prays for himself, he prays for that first group that was given to him. And then he transitions here and he prays for all who are going to believe because that first group is going to go and preach. Now, what's happening here, and, and maybe you've seen it all along, but it's like the Lord has just brought an awareness to me of, of, of what's taking place here. And it's literally nothing can compare to this since the days of Noah. We know that in the days of Noah, the Bible says that every thought in every heart was only evil continually. Mankind 
had become so far removed from God, had become so corrupt that there was, there was nothing that could be done to redeem them with the exception of Noah. And of course, we know how that story played out, how it ended. And God began again with Noah and, and Noah's descendants. And when we speak of Jesus coming to this earth and that initial group of disciples, we see once again, the, the earth's not being destroyed by a flood, but there is a line being drawn in the sand. You've got the line that was drawn in the sand in the days of Noah. And not another such line drawn until the line is drawn in the sand at Jesus. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but I'm just going to go with this if we could for just a moment. When the angel of the Lord spoke to the Virgin Mary and began to prophesy and explain to her and then others began to also speak and prophesy into her life. I, I've got it in my notes. I'm not going to turn there. But basically, it was said of Jesus that he would mark the, both the rise and the fall of many. We know that Jesus came to this earth as the Prince of Peace, but he also said of himself that he came to bring a sword. And sometimes it's hard to understand, well, which one is which, because so many of the portraits of Jesus, you know, have him kind of, you know, look, you know, kind of pale and thin and holding a little goat or, I mean, a little sheep or something, you know. And he's a warrior. He's the lion from the tribe of Judah. But again, he came to draw a line in the sand of history. And I think the only way we can really understand the magnitude of those first disciples that God the Father gave to Jesus when they accepted him for who he was is to go to the book of Revelation and discover that their names are carved onto the foundation stones of that city. That's, that's pretty strong right there. How many of you understand what I'm saying tonight? That's, that's high cotton, as we might say here in the South. And that's, that's quite an honor. Because again, the Lord spoke this to my heart a few weeks back. He said that those men were like Noah's, plural, Noah's to him. Because from those men, they're going to go preach. And they're going to preach to people who are going to hear and be, be born again. Who are going to preach to people who are going to hear and be born again. Who are going to preach to people who are here and going to be born again. And from this, from this we have the body of Christ. From this, we have the bride of Christ. Now, <clears throat> this is a hard thing to say. And I know it's, some people scratch their heads. And, and I'm not trying to get all deep into this tonight. But sometimes what we fail to consider is, is all those folks 
who rejected, who didn't believe, who didn't hear, who didn't believe, right? Jesus spoke often about those whom the Father had given to him. He spoke often of those who were his. He would say things like, you don't understand what I'm saying because you're not part of mine. You're not one of mine. You, you don't belong to me. He said, if you belong to me, then you would hear what I'm having to say. And my words would, would make sense. They would register in your heart. Am I the, you follow what I'm saying? If you've ever read this, and we see it all throughout the Gospels, and, and, and Jesus would make that statement over and over again. Another way that it was illustrated was that Jesus said he came to separate the sheep from the goats. The sheep from the goats. And that he was the true shepherd. And that his sheep would hear his voice. And that his sheep would, were his own and they would follow him. But those who were not his sheep, those who were not given to him, would not hear his voice, would not know him, would not recognize him. Which has led to a lot of speculation over many generations as to what that means. And on the extreme end of the spectrum is this idea that God the Father designates you ever been in like a meeting and, and they go, remember your number, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. All right, all the ones over here, all the twos back there, all the threes back here, all the fours over here. And there are those who, who they make it sound a whole lot more, uh, you know, educated and, and spectacular than that. But basically, there are those who believe that that's what God did. That he just somehow decided, um, you're in, you're in, you're not in, you're not in, you're in, you're not in, you're in, you're in, you're in. And, that, and that's, nothing could be further from the truth. But you, you can't just take one scripture and build a whole doctrine out of it. You've got to rightly divide and skillfully apply the whole word of God. The whole word of God. And many times when we're trying to understand these kinds of you know, dilemmas, these kinds of, of uh, you know, challenges or, or even mysteries with the Word of God, the tendency is to make it more and more complex, more and more complicated. But that's not how you understand Jesus. First of all, you're not going to understand Him at all unless the Holy Spirit helps you understand Him. But remember, Jesus didn't come to make things more complex and more complicated. He came to take what was already complex and complicated and make it so simple that not only could a child understand it, but a child could teach it to an adult. And so, you know, when you have all these, you know, elaborate answers to this, that in the end don't sound anything like the true heart of God, you know, you, you have to kind of take a step back and, and look at what the Bible actually says about these things. Now, <clears throat> there's, a, there's a passage that I want us to go to tonight before we go 
I know, I, I know I've still got you in John 17, but go with me to John, the third chapter. John chapter 3. And I really, really believe tonight that, man, the Holy Spirit just spoke to me a, a few days back. Really, I guess it's been about eight or nine days ago. About the important... Um, part that these verses play in our understanding of, of John chapter 17, okay? And it seems a bit obscure, and remember my, my job, my responsibility is to read the verse and make the sense. Yours is to seek it out for your own self and, and allow the Holy Spirit to teach you and lead you, okay? So if you disagree with me here, that's fine, but but just hear me out, please, okay? John chapter 3, verse 26. It says, And they came to John and said to him, Look at me for a moment, okay? Um, if you're reading John's gospel and you hear the name John, okay? Um, it, it's, John never referred to himself by name. He referred to himself as the one whom the Lord loved, the disciple, that disciple, the disciple that Jesus loved, the disciple that, loved, you know, you follow what I'm saying? That's, that he never referred to himself by name. I think, number one, it was because he was renewing his mind to the love that God had for him, but also to prevent the confusion between him, John the Beloved, and another very important figure, John the Baptist. So he's talking here, the John here is John the Baptist, different from John the Beloved, the Apostle John, brother of James, co-son of Thunder, um, and one of the original disciples. So John the Baptist, who had disciples, who, who had a following. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan to whom you have testified... Behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. Okay, look at me for a moment, please. <clears throat> Jesus said of John the Baptist, he was the greatest prophet born of a woman. But he went on to say that the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. Because those who are in the kingdom of heaven are those who have been born not just of a woman, but who have been born of the Spirit, who have been born of the seed of God, who have been born again, born a second time. So the greatest prophet of the Old Covenant is not as great as the least newborn baby in the kingdom in the New Covenant. That is just, again, one of the most um, stark examples of what Jesus has done for us and what's become true about us because of the new birth. So we know that John the Baptist was responsible not just for baptizing Jesus, but he was the one who was responsible for being the forerunner, for preparing the way for Jesus, making men's and women's hearts ready to receive Jesus. We'll talk about why that's important here in just a moment. 
But John the Baptist was also given the assignment to identify Jesus. And John the Baptist said two very important things about Jesus. He said that Jesus came to this earth to do two things for you and for me. Number one, he came to take away your sin. And number two, John the Baptist, greatest prophet of a woman, said he came to baptize you. Jesus came to baptize you in the Holy Ghost. Take away your sin, baptize you in the Holy Ghost. And John was given a sign that, that, that when the Holy Spirit descended upon him, right? And, and, and of course, when so John's baptizing all these people. He baptizes Jesus and the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove comes and descends upon Jesus. So when they say, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, they're talking about Jesus, to whom you have testified. Remember, John the Baptist testified of Jesus. They said, behold, Jesus is baptizing and all are coming to him. Well, part of this is not accurate. Because Jesus never baptized a single person in water. There were water baptisms taking place in Jesus' ministry, but Jesus did not perform those water baptisms. His disciples baptized people in water, but Jesus never baptized a single person in water because he didn't come to baptize in water. He came to baptize in the Holy Ghost. Part of that is because Father God in His infinite wisdom knew there would be much um, uh, resistance concerning the, the, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And if Jesus had baptized people in water, they would, people would try to say, well, that's what that means, is baptizing in water. No, no, no. Baptizing in water is important, necessary, instructed and commanded by Jesus, exemplified in Jesus. In other words, He was baptized in water. And we're to follow him in those same waters of baptism. But Jesus came to do something more for us than baptismal in, baptizing in water. He came to baptize us in the Holy Ghost. All right? Now, verse 27, though, is the key verse for our study this evening. John answered, John the Baptist, greatest prophet born of a woman. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. Now, was Jesus receiving people who were coming to him? It's not a trick question. Yes, he was. People who were flocking to John the Baptist lining up to be baptized by John the Baptist, now we see that John the Baptist's numbers are decreasing and Jesus' crowds are increasing. Jesus' numbers are increasing. And John the Baptist understood his place. John the Baptist even said, I must decrease, he must increase. So John knew that, that his moment um, in, in history was a critical one, an important one, but it was uh, one that would be temporal in the sense that he would step onto the stage of human events, he would become wildly popular, um, the anointing of, of God would be upon him, uh, he would prophesy, 
and people's hearts would be prepared for Jesus. But then when Jesus stepped forward, it, would, it was time for John the Baptist to fade into the background. And he knew that. He, he even said so much, um, you know, from his own mouth. But now listen again. He says this, not just a random oracle. He wasn't just try, trying to impress those who were listening with his wisdom. But he's saying this in direct connection to people now being drawn to and accepting Jesus as their Messiah. He said of Jesus, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. Now, there are some teachings that make people more nervous than others. And one of those teachings that tends to make people real nervous is when we start talking about the humanity of Jesus. I was raised in a church where the pastor believed that Jesus was God, and I heard him say it many, many times, that Jesus was God with a little bit of skin pulled over him. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches us specifically in the book of Philippians chapter 2, and then in um, two or three different places in the book of Hebrews, that Jesus became a man in order for him to do what he did for us, in order for him to accomplish what he accomplished for us, it required him to become a man. If he had not become a man, then what he did for us, he did as God instead of as a man. And so no man has yet to defeat Jesus, has yet to defeat Satan. But Jesus came as a man in right standing with God, full of the Holy Spirit, lived a sinless life, and defeated the devil as our substitutionary representative, as our substitute. Amen. Now listen, I know some folks say, well look, you know, everybody has different opinions about this. It's not that big a deal, Pastor Mark. I mean, why are you trying to pick a fight? I'm not trying to pick a fight, but this is a deal breaker. In other words, this isn't one of those things that, well, you believe one way, I'll believe the other way, and we'll be okay. No, no, it, it doesn't work that way. And, and again, it's, it's these um, inconsistencies that lead to the bigger picture of our inability to believe our oneness with God. So let me try in the time that we have remaining tonight to explain to you why this is such a big deal. Go back with me now. Remember that principle. A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. Go back with me now to John chapter 17 and verse number 1. A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. John chapter 17 and verse number 1. Let me put it up on the screen. I got it here somewhere in my notes. Praise God. 
Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son also may glorify you. You have given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. The next verse goes on to say, and this is eternal life, that they may know you. That word know there means have personal fellowship with you. The only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Now, in verse 2, Jesus says of the Father, Father, you have given me authority over all flesh. This morning, the title of this morning's sermon was Right and Might. And that word authority there literally means that God the Father gave to Jesus the right and the ability to do something for all humanity. Okay? Now, this is absolutely speaking of Jesus as a man. If we're talking about Jesus, the Son of God on the throne of the universe before He came to this earth, He already had authority over this planet. Are you, are you following what I'm saying here? Obviously, He gave that authority to Adam and Adam's descendants. Adam turned it over to the devil. The devil hijacked that authority. But Jesus did not have to come and die on the cross to put the devil in his place. He had to come and die on the cross to put us in our place over the devil. Jesus could have put an end to the devil's reign. Are you hearing me? without becoming a man, but in order to save you and me, he had to become a man to do that, and in order to give you and me victory over that same devil, he had to defeat him as a man, and take that back from the devil as a man, so he could then restore it to mankind, to you and me. So when he says, Father, you have given him, the Son of God, me, Verse 2, authority over all flesh. He's talking about something that he received from heaven. Remember what it, let's, let's go back, John 3, praise God. I'll read it to you again. I got too many verses scattered out here. John 3, I want to get it exactly as he said it. A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. So because Jesus became a man, he's now in a position as a man to be given something from heaven, not something that belonged to him as the Son of God in heaven, but now as the Son of God who has become a man on the earth, God the Father gave this to him. He received it. Are you seeing this? He received it. It was Father God's to give, and Father God gave it to Jesus, not 
as the Son of God on the throne, but as the Son of Man on planet Earth. He gave him authority over all flesh. Again, the right, the privilege, and the ability to do something for all flesh. Why did Jesus give this, why did God the Father give this authority to Jesus? He gave this authority to Jesus so that Jesus could give eternal life, personal fellowship, to as many as the Father gives to Jesus. I know it's confusing. I almost want to try to figure out some way to draw it. You know what I'm saying? Are you with me? A lot of giving going on here. So first of all, a man can receive nothing. A man can receive nothing unless it's given to him from heaven. So Jesus, who had authority over all flesh as the eternal Son of God, he comes to this earth as the Son of Man. As a human being now, a man, God is able to give to him. He received from heaven authority, the right and might to do something for all, all flesh. Why did God give this to him? God the Father gave this to him so that Jesus could then give to all who Father gives to him eternal life. Yes? Okay. Now, let's go back to John 1. I know we're spending some time here. But I really, really, really feel like it's important. So thank you for your patience. So John chapter 1 and verse number 10. Are you getting anything out of this tonight? Amen. That wasn't very encouraging. I'm glad Ronnie's getting something out of it over there. Paul, whoever said that over there. No, I'm just kidding. Amen. John chapter 1 verse 10. He was in the world. This is obviously speaking of Jesus being given to the world. God the Father gave us Jesus. That was what Isaiah prophesied, right? Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. A man can receive nothing unless it's given to him from heaven. So Father gave to us his son. But in order for Father to give Jesus to us, Jesus had to become a man in order for Jesus to be given to us. Are you seeing this? So he gave Jesus to us. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. The world did not have personal fellowship with him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. Father gave him. He gave him, but he wasn't received. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right. That's the same word we see in John 17. Right and might. He gave everyone who receives Jesus, verse 12, Father God gives the right and the ability to become children of God to everyone who receives the gift of Jesus. 
Again, a man can receive nothing unless it's given to him from heaven. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man. So what is it saying? Who were born of God. All right, so let's go through this. On both sides of this giving and receiving, we see the necessity for Jesus to become a man. In order for Father to effectively give Him to us, He has to become a man. In order for Father to give to Him the right and ability to do something for all humanity as a substitutionary representative, He had to become a man. Are you seeing this? Now, the plan was for Jesus to be given authority over all flesh, the, the right and ability to do something for all humanity. And that wasn't just to give us a little help. It wasn't just for Him to forgive us. It wasn't just for Him to, um, to explain some things to us. It was for Him to give us eternal life. Now, who is Jesus? Here's the answer to that whole sheep and goat question. My sheep hear my voice. If you were a part of, if you were one of mine, you would know what I'm saying. It would make sense to you. Here's the simple answer to this. Don't overthink it. Don't overcomplicate it. Father God gave the gift. Everyone who receives the gift, He then gives the right and might to the privilege and ability to become children of God. How do we become children of God? By being born, not of the flesh, not of the will of the man, not of the will of, of man, but being born of God. So we see how all this fits together. Is it not true that we receive eternal life through the new birth? That when we're born again, when we receive salvation, we're given eternal life. Is that not accurate? Yes? Okay, but, but how are we born again? We're born again by receiving Jesus. By believing on His name. We believe on His name, we receive Him. When we receive Him, He has been given authority over all flesh to give eternal life to as many as God the Father gives to Him. How is it that one is given to Jesus when another one is not? The ones who receive the gift, Father gives the right and might to become one with Jesus. He gives them to Jesus. If we reject Jesus, God the Father cannot give us to Jesus in order for Jesus to give us eternal life, also known as personal fellowship with the Father. Amen. Got it? Amen. Stand with me. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. 
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Are you his tonight? <laughs> Amen. Are you his? You, you know, think about that for a moment. In a minute, Jesus, Jesus, and I say in a minute, on down in the 17th chapter, he's going to say, Father, all mine are yours and all yours are mine. Amen. If you belong to Jesus and you belong to the Father, amen. Father, thank you for helping us, Lord, embrace these things, not just with our minds, not just trying to connect these dots uh, mentally, but Lord, that we would connect these dots and embrace these truths inwardly in our hearts, that we would begin to internalize these things, Father. We begin to recognize um, that, that we didn't just join a church or, or you know, walk the aisle and, and decide to get baptized, but Father, when, when we called upon the name of Jesus, when we accepted the gift that you gave to us, you in turn gave us the right, the privilege, the power, and the ability to become children of God, born of God, given eternal life by Jesus himself. Personal fellowship. Personal fellowship. Oneness with you, Father, and with your Son. Father, may these truths become such a reality in our lives that they, they change the way we face another day on planet Earth. They change the way we consider a challenging situation. Father, it's, it's one thing to deal with a challenging situation thinking all we have to, all we have to try to resolve the issue is our own ability, our own ingenuity, our own uh, might, and, and yet it's a completely different scene, a completely different picture, Father, when we look at every situation in our lives and face that situation with an awareness that we're in you and you're in us, that we're one with you and you're one with us. Father, I thank you for a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. For each person listening to this message tonight. Father, that something would click deep inside of us. That, that, that your Holy Spirit would, would turn on a light bulb in our spirits, in our hearts. That he would light a candle inside of us, Father, to the reality of these truths. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Praise God. Shake somebody's hand, hug somebody's neck, love somebody in Jesus. Thank you so much for being here. We'll see you Wednesday night, if not before. Good things coming.